Witch in the Wardrobe, Book 2, Chapter 9, in the Witch's Home. I hope you all enjoy. Chapter 9, in the Witch's House. And now, of course, you want to know what happened to Edmund. He had eaten his share of dinner, but he hadn't really enjoyed it because he was thinking all the time about Turkish delight. And there's nothing that spoils the taste of good ordinary food half as much as the memory of bad magic food. As he heard the conversation and hadn't enjoyed it much either because he kept on thinking that the others were making no notice of him and were trying to give him a cold shoulder. They weren't, but he imagined it. And then he listened until Mr. Beaver told him about a slam and until he heard the whole arrangement for meeting a slam at the stone table. Then was, and then he began very quietly to edge himself under the curtain which hang, hung over the door. For the mention of a slam gave him a mysterious and horrible feeling, just as it gave the others a mysterious and lovely feeling. Just as Mr. Beaver had been repeating the rhyme about Adam's flesh and Adam's bone, Edmund had been quietly turning the door handle, and just before Mr. Beaver had begun telling them about the White Witch wasn't really a human at all, but half a gin and half a giantess, Edmund had got outside into the snow and cautiously closed the door behind him. You mustn't think that even now Edmund wasn't quite as so bad that he actually wanted his brothers and sisters to turn into stone. He did want Turkish delight and to be a prince and later a king and to pay and to pay Pietro for calling him a beast. As for what the witch would do for the others, he didn't want her to be to be particularly nice to them. Sir, it's certainly not to put them on the same level as himself, but he managed to believe, or pretend he believed, that he that he wouldn't that she wouldn't do anything very bad to them because he said to himself. All these people who say nasty things about her are her enemies, and probably half of it isn't true. She was jolly nice to me anyways, much nicer than they are. I I expect she is the rightful queen, really, really. Anyway, she'll be better than an awful slam. At last. That was the excuse that he made in his own mind for what he was doing. It wasn't a very good excuse, however, deep down inside him, he really knew that the White Witch was bad and cruel. The first thing he realized when he got outside and the, f- and the snow falling all around him was that he left his coat behind in the beaver's house. And of course, there were no chance of getting back to it right now. The next thing he realized is that the daylight was almost gone, for it had been nearly three o'clock when they sat down to dinner and, and, and the winter days are short. He hadn't reckoned on this, but he had to make the best of it. So he turned up his collar and shuffled across the top of the dam. Luckily, it wasn't so slippery since the snow had fallen to the far side of the river. It was pretty bad when he reached the far side. It was growing darker every minute, and what with that and the snowflakes twirling all around him, he could hardly see three feet ahead. And then two, two, there was no road. He kept on sliding into deep drifts of snow, skidding on frozen puddles, and tripping over fallen tree trunks, sliding down steep banks, barking his shins against rocks, till he was wet and cold and bruised all over. The silence and loneliness was dreadful. In fact, 
I really think that he might have given up the whole plan and gone back and owned up and made friends with the others. But he had happened to say to himself, When I'm the king of Narnia, the first thing I, sh I shall do will be to make some decent roads. And of course, that said about thinking being a king and all the other things he could do. And this cheered him up a good deal. He had just settled in his mind what sort of palace he would have and how many cars and all about the private cinema where the principal railways would run and what laws he would make against beavers and dams and was putting the finishing touches for some schemes to put it keeping Peter in this, in this place when the weather changed. At first, the snow stopped. Then, a wind sprang up and it became freezing cold. Finally, all the clouds rolled away and then wind came out. It was a full moon and it shining on all that snow and made everything almost as bright as day. Only the shadows were rather confusing. He would have never have found his way if the moon hadn't come out by the time he got to the other river. You remember what you'd seen when they first arrived at the beavers. A smaller river, river flowing into the great one lower down. He now reached this and, and turned to follow it up. But the little valley down which it came was much steeper and rockier than the one he had, he had just left. It was much overgrown with bushes so that he could not have imagined it at all in the dark. Even as it was, he got wet through for he had the stoop under branches and great loads of snow came sliding off into his back. And every time this happened, he, he thought more and more how he hated Peter, just as all as has been Peter's fault. At last, he came to the part where it was more level and the valley opened out. And there, on the other side of the river, quite close to them, in the middle of a plain between two hills, he saw what must be the White Witch's house. And the moon was shining brighter, brighter than ever. And the house was really a small castle. It seemed to be all towers. Little towers with long pointed spires on them, sharp as needles. They looked like huge dunces caps or sorcerer's caps. And they shone in the moonlight. And their long shadows looked strange on the snow. Edmund began to be afraid of the house. It was too late of thinking of turning back now. He crossed the river on the ice and walked up to the house. There was nothing stirring, not the slightest sound everywhere. Even his feet made no noise on the deep, newly fallen snow. He walked on and on, past corner after corner of the house, and past turret after turret to find the door. He had to go right around to the far side before he found it. It was a huge arch, but the great iron gate stood wide open. Edmund crept up to the arch and looked inside into the courtyard. And there was a, and he saw a sight that nearly made his heart stop beating. Just inside the gate, the moonlight shining on it, it stood an enormous lion, crouched as, a, as if it was ready to spring. Edmund got stood in the shadow of the arch, Afraid to go on and afraid to go back. With his knees knocking together. 
He stood there so long that his teeth would have been chattering, chattering with cold, even if they had not been chattering with fear. How long this period lasted? I don't know, but it seemed to Edmund to last for hours. At, then at last, he began to wonder why the lion was standing so still, still, for it hadn't moved one inch since he first set his eyes on it. Edmund now ventured a little nearer, still keeping in the shadow of, of the arch as much as he could. He now saw from the way the lion was standing that it wouldn't have been looking at him at all, but supposing it turned his head. thought Edmund. In fact, it was staring at something else, namely a little dwarf who stood with his back to it about four feet away. Ha ha, said Edmund. When it springs the dwarf, then it'll be my chance to escape. But still, the lion never moved, nor did the dwarf. And now at last, Edmund remembered what the others said about white witch turning people into stone. Perhaps this was only a stone lion. and the tops of its heads were covered with snow. Of course, it must be only a statue. No living animal would let itself get covered with snow. Then, very slowly, and with his heart beating as if it would burst, Edmund ventured into the, to go up to the lion, and now he hardly dared to touch it. At last, he put his hand on it, very frightened and did. It was cold stone. He had been frightened of a mere statue. In relief, which Edmund felt was so great, in spite of the cold, he suddenly got warm all over, right down to his toes. At the same time there came into his head what seemed a perfectly lovely idea. Probably, he thought, this is the great lion of Flan they were all talking about. She's caught and already turned him to stone. So, that's the end of all their fine ideas about him. Pfft, who's afraid of Slam? And he stood there, gloating over the stone lion. And presently, he did something very silly and childish. He took a stump of lead pencil up in his pocket and scribbled a mustache on the lion's upper lips and a pair, pair of skepticals all over his eyes. Then he said, Yah! Silly old slam! How do you like being a stone? You thought yourself mighty fine, didn't you? But in spite of the scribbles on it, the face of the great zombies still looked so terrible and sad and movable staring up at the moonlight edmund didn't get really any fun out of jeering at it he turned away and began to cross the courtyard when he got to the middle of it he saw that there were dozens and dozens of statues all about standing here and there rather as pieces on a chessboard and it is halfway through the game there are stone satyrs and stone wolves, and bears and foxes, and catamountains of stones. And there were lovely stone shapes that looked like women, but who were really the spirits of trees. There was a great shape of a centaur, and a winged horse, and a long creature that Edmund took to be a dragon. They looked all so strange standing there, 
but perfectly lifelike and perfectly still. Still in the bright, cold moonlight, and it was eerie work crossing in the courtyard. Right in the middle stood a huge shape like a man, about as tall as a tree, with a fierce face and a shaggy beard, and a great club in its hand. Even though he knew it was the only stone giant, and not a live one, Edmund did not like going past it. Now he saw that there was a dim light showing from a doorway on the far side of the courtyard. He went to it, and there was a flight of stone steps going up an open door. Edmund went up them. Across the threshold lay a great wolf. It's all right, it's all right, he kept saying to himself. It's only stone wolf, it can't hurt me. In greatest way, he stepped over it. Instantly, the huge creature rose. And with all the hair bristling along its back, and he opened a great red mouth and said in a growling voice, Who's there? Who's there? Stand still, stranger, and tell me what you are. If you please, sir, said Edmund, troubling, trembling so that he could hardly speak. M my name is Edmund, and I'm the son of Adam that her majesty had met in the wood the other day, and I've come to bring her the news that my brothers and sisters are now in Narnia, quite close, in the beaver's house. She, she wanted to see them. I will tell her majesty, said the wolf. Meanwhile. Stand still on the threshold, as you value your life. Then, it vanished into the house. Edmund stood and waited, his fingers aching with cold, and his heart pounding on his chest. And presently, the grey wolf Mulgrim, chief of the witch's secret police, came bounding back and said, Come in, come in, fortunate favorite of the queen. Or else, not so fortunate. And Edmund went in, taking great care not to tread on the wolf's paws. He found himself in a long, gloomy hall with many, with many pillars, full as the cart as the courtyard had been had been of statues. The one nearest to the door was a little fawn with a very sad expression on his face, and Edmund couldn't help wondering if this might be Lucy's friend. The only light came from a single lamp, and, and close beside this sat the White Witch. Come in, your majesty, said Edmund, rushing eagerly forward. How dare you come alone, said the witch in a terrible voice. Did I not tell you to bring the others with you? Please, your majesty, said Edmund. I've done the best I can. I've brought them quite close. Through in the little house on the top of the dam, just up the river, with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. A slow, cruel smile came over the witch's face. Is this all your news? No, your majesty, said Edmund, and proceeded to tell her all that he had heard before leaving the beaver's house. What? A slant, said the queen? A slant? Is this true? If I find out that you've lied to me, please... I'm only repeating what they said, said Edmund. The queen, who was no longer attending to him, clapped her hands. Instantly, the same dwarf whom Edmund had seen before appeared. Make ready a sledge, ordered the witch, and use the harness without bells.
that was the end of chapter 9. Chapter 10 is called The Spell Begins to Break.